You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti. I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded at ABA's National Summit on Innovation in Legal Services at Stanford Law School in Stanford, California. And we're here covering this event and its highlights for you, our listeners. And joining me now, I have a co-host, Miss Monica Bay. Uh, she is a former host of ours. She uh, she used to host Law Technology Now, but she's coming back to join us and uh, she's going to interview Mr. Richard Suskin. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. And uh, we've known each other, I think, probably as long as we've both been on in our <laughs> careers. And I have thoroughly enjoyed every opportunity to hear you. Um, you're always stimulating and always get everyone uh, riled up to a degree. But at this time... Job done then, yeah. Yeah, that's done. So this time you went in a new direction a little bit. And before I ask you about that, on the rare case that there might be two or three people in the audience who don't know about you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do? Okay, uh, Richard Suskin's my name, half a lawyer and half a technologist. And in 1981, as a law student in Scotland, I get interested in the idea of technology and the law, and then have devoted the rest of my career to that. So I divide my time between advising major law firms and in-house counsel. I'm something called IT advisor to the Lord Chief Justice, and I write uh, books, written eight books on the future of legal services, particularly the technology flavor. So my, my fascination is with the way in which technology can help deliver legal services better. And... Uh I've just left uh, Law Technology News with ALM. I retired after 30 years, and um, my career pretty much follows a lot of what you just said, which is I've been completely obsessed with technology and all the opportunities, and and I'm very excited to now be a, a fellow at Stanford and doing some other stuff, and it's really fun. It's a great place, actually. Uh, the the weather here, the uh, just to go wander around the nice. campus, wonderful. You could do a lot worse. Well done. That's that. that's true, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And the next chapter. So. We're here today for this three-day conference. It's invitation only. It's very unusual. I've gone to a lot of these types of conferences, and this one seems a little different. They handpick the folks to come, and it's a three-day effort really diving into how do we address serving the communities, um, not just the poor, but middle class, who just haven't had the ability, 80, 80 to 85% say they don't know how to find a lawyer, and they can't afford traditional lawyer costs. So talk to us a little bit about what you're doing in the UK with similar situations here. Okay, I'll make it personal because this is uh, a project with which I've been currently involved because I want to talk to you about online courts and the progress we've made in that direction. We were saying in discussion earlier, Monica, this is not normally what I'm associated with because I tend to write about uh, big law firms and major in-house counsel. But the truth is, in my past books, there's always chapters on access to justice. As people don't get that far, uh, they're usually put off before they, uh, oh, no, they, they, they read aren't. it. Well, who knows? <laughs> in any event, what, my real passion in all of this and has been since day one is how can we use technology to increase access to justice? Now, for a number of years, I've been arguing that we need to revisit our concept of access to justice. So this is something I was talking about to the audience today, because when you speak to many judges in particular about access to justice, they have in mind speedier and lower cost access to the court system. And what I was saying is we need to go further. It seems to me that a good justice system will not just resolve disputes, but will help contain disputes when they arise 
uh, I call it dispute containment, uh, prevent them from escalating. And the difficulty I was pointing out is that so much of the work of lawyers and the courts, really the incentives lead people to escalate rather than contain. So I think we need to, to work in that. And indeed, people will need to avoid problems in the first place that I call this putting the fence at the top of the cliff rather than the ambulance at the bottom. I've ye- <laughs> That's a great analogy. I- I've yet to meet a normal human being who'd prefer a large legal problem well resolved by a lawyer to not having a legal problem at all. That's not the way normal people think. And so a good justice system, I argue, is not just about dispute resolution, it's about dispute containment, and it's about dispute avoidance as well. So that was one of my themes today. But one of my side themes was also that it's time, I think, to stop talking about the future of legal services and starting to implement. And so to that end, I've been involved with a project in England and Wales, England and Wales legal system, uh, to do with online dispute resolution. So I was invited by the Civil Justice Council, and that's a body, it's a public body in England and Wales, chaired by the most senior civil judge, Lord Dyson. And it's a body that advises the government and the judiciary on developments in the civil justice system. And I was invited to lead a group on online dispute resolution, and in particular, to look at the idea of resolving disputes under £25,000 in value to see how we might use techniques known as online dispute resolution. And the the phrases are slightly vague. It's used in many ways. uh, But broadly speaking, this is not about using computers in the existing courts, but somehow resolving disputes across the internet. It might be by mediation across the internet, by negotiation. It might indeed be judges decided cases on an internet platform. So that was the brief we were given. And what I was describing today to the conference was the project uh, that led to our report that was published in February 2015. And to paraphrase, and this was exciting, that uh, the Master Rules, Lord Dyson said, that uh, was an exciting milestone in the development of the civil justice system. Basically, I got a team of leading specialists in online dispute resolution, and we put together this report, and we recommended the establishment of what we call Her Majesty's Online Courts. In England and Wales, our courts and tribunals are called HMCTS, Her Majesty's Courts and Tribunal Service. And we say that we need a new jurisdiction, which is Her Majesty's Online Courts. And this is a way of resolving disputes online. And we recommended a three-tier court that corresponds to this three levels that I've just mentioned, dispute avoidance, dispute containment, dispute resolution. And how does this, tell us a little bit more about it and what the learning points might be that could help the American systems? Well, the fundamental point, actually, I should be absolutely upfront, it remains a recommendation in a report just now, so it's not yet implemented. But we have confidence that it will be, and it's been very well received. But in terms of tactics, and I think this is quite an important point here, what we're not suggesting is graft this onto the existing court system. There are so many stories around the world of technology projects in the courts that just haven't gone anywhere. We're actually suggesting you start from scratch. And we take very low-value disputes. We're going way below the £25,000 level and seeing whether or not very low-value disputes could be resolved in a new way. So we're suggesting we set up a whole new set of rules, simple, affordable justice is what we have in mind, rules that support that. Can you walk us through the three phases? Yes. So starting at the bottom, which is in a sense an illogical place to start, but it it makes sense in a way. The uh, idea is to have judges deciding cases online. And by that, I mean that judges will decide cases on paper submissions or electronic submissions alone. If they need to speak to parties, they'll do so by telephone conference, maybe in the future by video conference. But here's a classic. We don't want to wait for video conferencing. We've got telephones just now. Let's use them. But by and large, the idea is that these are cases where judges can look at the papers in a structured way. will provide a platform for clients, 
users of the system to make their submissions. And would they be templates and, and yes, indeed, simpler? Because my immediate question would have been, well, how do how do you get continuity or make sure that the applicants? are presenting it in a way that this is can vital. be received. It'll be simple drop-down menus, standard chunks of text, frequently asked questions to support them, simple decision trees, flowcharts, and so forth. But it won't be unconstrained, as it were. There'll be a limited number of words, and there'll be standard terms that can be inserted and so forth. Trying to make it really so that lawyers don't need to be involved, and th this is vital. But that's the tier three that I've seen a little- Would that be used like, for example, for routine things such as um, in a family court, like if, if there's a fighting couple to have a restraining order it, so that they, the wife or husband can't come within a certain amount of time, that sort of issue? In principle, we haven't yet identified those categories of cases that are most suitable, because some cases it'll still be said, actually it's important to appear before a judge, some cases, judges will say, in practice, I need to look the parties in their eyes. But we've done work with our judges, and they've said very clearly that many of the cases, they don't really think people need physically to assemble. Our mantra, in a way, is, uh, is court of service or a place? Do you need, need physically to congregate together to resolve your differences? And taking a steer from many judges, not for all categories of dispute. So we need, and you would need in your jurisdiction, to identify the cases where this would work best. But actually, and this is second tier, I've talked about the third tier. The second mm -hmm. tier is what we call online facilitators. And this is the idea that even before cases go to judges, many of them don't really require judicial attention. And so in the spirit of ADR, of online dispute resolution, we have um, essentially court officials who will cajole, negotiate, mediate, a whole bundle of different techniques, basically bang heads together and say, this doesn't require judicial attention. Or frankly, 99.9% .9 of these cases are settled in this way. You really shouldn't be wasting your time or the court's time. Now, we've been following the findings of what we call our financial ombudsman authority in England, where disputes between citizens and financial institutions are sorted out. And they have people called the adjudicators who perform this function and um, rather than cases all going to ombudsmen, essentially the, the legal decision makers, these uh, adjudicators sort out about 90% of the half a million cases every year. So 90% don't go to the ombudsman. And interestingly, only 20 cases last year actually required the parties to meet in person before the ombudsman. So we thought, well, why can't we do that with low-level civil disputes? So that's the second tier, even before cases reach the judges, it's like a filter. You've got facilitators. But above that, we've got the, third, the first tier, and the first tier is basic online information, guidance, diagnostic tools, so people can understand what kind of problem they've got, a kind of triage. Uh, they can understand their obligations and entitlements. They can understand what options are open to them. And we believe that it's a function of the court system to provide this. Does the sheer process of going through that paperwork sometime solve the problems right is just by doing it? Well, our hope is, and uh, precisely that, that if people are better informed and people have a clearer understanding of the likely outcome in their situation, if people are apprised of what the options are available to them, they can take a more sensible view of whether or not they want to progress. So the idea is rather than having all cases immediately appear before judges through what we call an informational approach, um, at the top level, people understand the position. At the second level, in classical terms, it's an inquisitorial approach uh, where the facilitators actually are quite interventionist and involved in trying to sort out the problem. And only once you, uh, you reach the, the third level is it adversarial in the traditional manner. 
What distinguishes our approach from many other approaches to ODR, online dispute resolution, is that we've put it into the court system. For most people, ODR is a little like ADR, it's an alternative parallel system. But we think a modern court, a 21st century court, should not just be about judges sitting in courtrooms. It should be judges sitting online. It should be online tools which essentially, uh, and online uh, human beings, which essentially will help evaluate and monitor appropriate cases, as I said, encourage parties to more sensible solutions, and that all within the court system. So that's the practical project I was talking about today. And I'll go back to the earlier point that the main lesson we want to put forward is this is not being grafted onto the current court system. This is a, a parallel. parallel. And we reckon for that reason it's manageable. And it sounds like by templating it and having it be a pretty straightforward process that it will speed up uh, the process, I would, I would guess. That's certainly the aim. The whole, uh, the notion is that one might be able to resolve disputes in a couple of weeks rather than nine months. Yeah. And so if the evil is that these cases, for most people, you might have a, a dispute with your builder over a few hundred pounds. It might take nine months today, cost a thousand pounds to settle. You don't really understand the process and so forth. We want to end that. We want people to be able to go online, understand whether or not they've got any reasonable prospect of success, and perhaps speak to some sensible intermediary who can <laughs> resolve the problem without it receiving Absolutely. judicial attention. Maybe so that, that's the basic there. idea. Yeah. Uh, I say fundamentally again, though, that we see this as part of the court's role in the 21st century. So it's a redefinition of what the role of the state is in dispute resolution. There's a contrary argument some people say, well, this is fine, but actually we should just have private sector companies doing that. I still remain of the view that it's important that the courts are heavily involved in the resolution of civil disputes, if only to reinforce the value of rule of law. So one final question, because we're running out of time, is you and I have both been covering this for quite a long time now. We're at 2015. What do you see as the most progress and what do you see as a particular arena that perhaps needs to really be looked at a little bit more? How, how are we doing going towards the goal of, of making legal services more available internationally? It's such a complex area because I always think the big law, as you call it in the US, is so unlike everyday law as to be a different sector or market altogether. And I think we're beginning to see in big law uh, the embracing of a whole bundle of new technologies, even if you look at something like one of your specialist areas, electronic disclosure, in very large scale disputes, technology is used to a large extent. Now, my own view is that general counsel should be pushing harder for law firms, major law firms to use technology more, but I think that technology is up and running. It's slower than I would want. Where we're really missing out, it seems to me, is in respect to the kinds of cases I've been discussing, yeah. that we actually have a court system and we have a legal profession that really cannot help people in an affordable way. Who are and It's not just people who are, who are poorly off. It's uh, most professional middle-class people who really couldn't afford to pursue an action in the court system. And this is where I think we need to direct our attention. In and many I'm ways, also hopeful because the baby boomers are starting to retire, and I'm a baby boomer, so I'm one of the ones who's starting to retire. The generation behind us, They've never lived in a world without the internet. I think that's right. If you can't remember a pre-internet world, there's something really weird about having a dispute and having to assemble nine months later in a yeah. wood-panelled room where people are wearing wigs to sort it out. Does that really <laughs> resonate with the internet society? I'm sure it doesn't. And there's where we need to invest our time and energy. Well, it's been, as always, a complete pleasure talking with you. We've been talking with Richard Susskind, and I'll turn the mic 
over to you. Oh, well, thank you, Monica. And thank you, Richard. That was a delightful, delightful interview. So I think our listeners will get a lot out of that. So I know they'll enjoy it. Thank you. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.